Welcome to Comfortably Uncomfortable, not another running story. Thanks for joining us. We don't do small talk here. When we get outside and slightly uncomfortable, we get real, and we aim to continue these conversations here on this podcast. My name is Megan Fanning, and I'm the owner of Zendurance Now Coaching, and I'm joined by Sean Meehan, one of our coaches. Let's talk, let's get uncomfortable, and let's see where the conversation goes. The information in this podcast represents the views and opinions of Zendurance Now only. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice or treatment. We may be right, we may be wrong. Either way, be a solid human. If you're thinking about making a questionable decision, please seek out a qualified medical or psychological professional. How's it going today? Good so far. Um, I had a few much-needed days off, so I've just been sort of hanging around the house trying to get stuff done here, and now I'm talking to your wonderful self. Oh, I am so very, very, very wonderful. That's what I was thinking. Um, not to chew, <laughs> not to chew my own horn or anything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, things things around here have been pretty quiet. Getting ready, um, you know, get the kids back in school as we're recording this. What's least, when do your kids start? Tomorrow. Oh, mine too. Yay! Yeah, nothing like starting <laughs> school in August. I don't know, whatever. Um, well, when we, when we lived in Texas, they start much earlier down South. I think they start like, I don't know, like, I think they started like a week and a half ago, but they get it, but they get out earlier. So I feel like, I feel like we started after Labor Day growing up. Yes, I think so. Um, and now it's like a week or so earlier than that. I don't know. Maybe kids will be smarter when they grow up as opposed to smarter than us, hopefully. Yeah, we've we've done plenty of damage to this world for him. So <laughs> right, we were um last night my uh, my family had like and by my family I mean Carrie's family, my wife's family had family slideshow night, and they like brought out slides from like the seventies and eighties, like when like her fam like the kids were like the adults now were like real little kids, and mm-hmm. the grandparents were the adults and and shown like the kids and really i think it was like my like wife's glorious attempt to like relive her childhood because they used to bring out the slides like once a year and like watch them as a family anyways and so she kind of organized this whole thing and um some of like the slides were there's like like snowmen that were like five six feet tall and i was talking to my kids i was like Oh, that's before we like really destroyed the climate and we used to get snow in Massachusetts and we could build really big snowmen. <laughs> my, my kids are like, thanks, dad. And I was like, yeah, we used to have winter. It was cold all winter long. <laughs> so. Oh, boy. Well, we we haven't this. Yeah, this has been the first weekend that we've been home. All of us have been home and in quite a long time um last weekend um bill and i went up to the white mountains and we camped there my youngest was at my parents my oldest went to a wedding then she went down to my parents um so basically i I guess the short way of saying that is we got to go to the white mountains without kids which was uh, it was a little bit unreal have have you camped without kids in, um, like like ever like <laughs> yes i mean i've camped without kids and i don't um, mean like on the trail while we're while we're running kind of thing but like actually gone camping without kids no i mean but like so to be 100 percent honest i'm not like a super fan of camping at least tent camping um if i'm gonna t- if i'm gonna do something it's like let's just i don't know i the idea of like carrying a like super heavy pack and like multi-daying it like i'm like most i don't know most times you can bang out like i said like a 30 mile day right like mm-hmm. and get and then i can sleep in like a nice comfy bed yeah i it, it, i can see that it, it we do take the kids camping um we do have a we do have an rv so that's been nice um it's a lot less work you know with with the camper 
but camping with adults as opposed to kids, like it's so much less work. Yeah. Like, it was so, we, we kind of looked at each other, like we got set up in less than an hour, you know, we got, you know, we cleaned up in less than an hour, you know, to, to leave. It was, it was pretty interesting. I gotta say, <laughs> we just, we just haven't done that. Um, we were, you know, we, we went to bed early because, you know, we were waking up the next day to hike, um, which, yeah, we don't normally get to do with kids. So a little bit surreal. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like RV camping or like van camping is a little different than mm-hmm. having, it, having, having a pack and like a sleeping yes. pad in a, in a, in a, um, but, uh, I mean, I did have, I don't, I do like it to an extent. I went um, years ago. Matt and I did did a fast pack where we essentially did 35 miles, camped out, and then came back um, another 35, um, just to kind of a little bit of training, a little bit of like exploration. And so I do, I do, I have been camping without kids. Um, it's and it's, you can rough it a little more than, like when we when we went camping with the kids, the few times that we have, it's like, oh, we got to have the air mattresses, and then you got to have like yes. so much electricity, and then like you, and you're like, what are we doing? This is like, not like, and I'm sure there's someone who's gonna be listening to this, be like, we never had that when we were kids, and I don't make my kids, uh, we don't have that <laughs> stuff, and I was like, okay, well, like that's good, um, but you you know like. I don't know. My kids are soft, I guess. I don't know. They need they need lights and things and we have phones <laughs> that we charge and I mean Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It's don't a lot of work. S- don't sleep on the ground and sleep on air mattresses and you know, but like when I'm with my like I said when like I if fast packed it's like I have a hammock and a sleeping bag mm-hmm. and like um I can carry everything in like a 20 pound pack, like with 20 pounds with like food and still have, um, it can still be amenable. Well, like with the kids, it's like, it's a full, it's car camping. It's just different. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I was actually able to, to hike Whiteface, which is one of the 4,000, um, New Hampshire's 48 4,000 footers. And uh, we, we had the idea we were planning out the hike. So you can connect white face with Casa Conaway. Um, but we had the dogs. We did not bring the dogs on the trail just because our dogs are not, are not trained, you know, to do that kind of hiking. And also there's a lot of rock face and it's exposed. Um, I don't trust that my dogs wouldn't run off cause they're, they're spazzes, but Um, you know, we had the idea that, you know, if it gets bad or if the conditions get weird, or if my ankle was bothering me that we would just, you know, quit and turn around, which is the attitude that everybody should have, um, hiking up the white mountains. And we were talking beforehand and I said, I said, do you think the dogs could handle this? And then I kind of corrected myself and thought, if you have to ask yourself that you shouldn't be bringing your dog, um, you know, up a mountain because there have been, um, there've been a few rescues recently, um, that are animal related. Um, and that's, and that's a lot, that's a lot to ask rescuers. Uh, so, so anyway, so, so we did this hike. It was really cool. Um, it was really a great experience and it, you know, I think we talked about this. I think we talked about this last time, but you know, I'm super hard on myself when it comes to, when it comes to running, um, and I think I should be so much further along than I am, but then I'm hiking and I remember that, holy God, like, you know, five months ago, um, I could not make my own food. <laughs> um, right. you know, four months ago, um, I could not walk on two feet, um, without crutches. So, you know, so the, the recovery is coming along. Um, the hike up was totally fine. Um, there's a lot of rock climbing. And when I mean rock climbing, it's like, like boulder scrambling. I don't mean rock you know, like rock climbing, um, a lot of boulder scrambling, um, which was fine. Um, I had no problem. Um, you know, but on the way down, I, I was going a little bit slower. I did notice that, but I just needed to for, for, 
you know, for my steps, I didn't know how my ankles were going to respond. So we hiked, we hiked pretty slow coming down. And I think, I mean, it was still shorter than it took going up, but, um, but not, you know, I wasn't bebopping down and hip hopping, you know, from, from rock to rock, like I would have done before, um, you know, taking breaks. And, um, I think I butt scooted down a few, you know, down a few of the boulders and stuff to get down and, Really, it was it was great. The next day, I noticed my calves were sore, but that's it. So, um, so pretty cool. Um, that's awesome. I was I was pretty happy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so similar. We had um, because we had family fun weekend up in the greens, up in Vermont. So we had in our place we have, or I guess it's, it was our in laws' place. So we invited a, a several of the kids' friends' families. Uh, for the weekend um from like thursday till sunday and so four different families kind of came in with their kids and we did a slew of different activities in the the greens we went uh mountain biking in killington there's an adventure center there the kids kind of did that um we went well, to the kids war- well the kids do that kid mountain biking course that they have there so the you're talking about the pump track down on the lower side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, the kids didn't. That my kids don't care about mountain biking. There was one of the um, one of the family's kids um, is into BMX biking and has gone mountain biking there. So I took him up on some trails and took oh, okay. uh, the dads up there and we did some stuff and he worked through some of the skill progression park stuff on the actually on the mountain where he was like hitting different drops and different jump lines and stuff like that and um just like hung out and worked worked with him and then did some other biking with some of the, a couple of the dads on some more technical stuff um and had a good good day about biking the kids did a couple of adventure center park days and then we went to warren falls twice because it was pretty warm that weekend i don't know what it was like up in the whites but in the greens it was pretty warm and so warren falls is up uh, in the Mad River area, up uh, Mad River Glen, uh, Sugarbush area, and it's um, it's a swimming hole in Vermont off of Route 100 there, and there's like rock jumps and water slide type stuff on the rock faces, um, into little little, I guess potholes of you know water or whatever, and I mean my kids were jumping off you know 15, 20 foot rocks into like the water off logs and stuff like that doing. Doing all the stuff that all the big kids were doing, which is which is pretty cool that they were out there and they they really both of them really do love water and stuff like that. Um, no one no one got hurt, so that was good. It's always um, a good thing. <laughs> and then everyone went back on Sunday. I stayed up an extra day, kind of kind of took care of the house and picked up some stuff, and then um, went and I did. I was also I headed out to the Whites also. Um, on Tuesday and met up with a buddy and we did the uh, Pemi loop. So, nice. so Tuesday um, was interesting. We were, we were kind of having and hawing, right? Like as it is with the whites and some of the exposure that you get there. Um, the weather was questionable looking at the weather um, for the, uh, for Lincoln, New Hampshire area, it was looking like possible thunderstorms were rolling in and depending on where you are, you can be pretty exposed, like Franconia Ridge. You can mm-hmm. be fully exposed for for a couple miles. And then Bond Cliff, you can be exposed for for a few miles. And up and down some of the 4,000-footers, Garfield, you're kind of exposed. Um, and so we were kind of like, should we do it? Should we not do it? Um, and so we started talking about bailout points and like where we could drop down below a tree line and, and get off the ridge if need be. Um, if it looked like it was going to get, get bad. And then the weather just kind of, it kind of turned, it got, um, it rained that night. So everything was, was a little slick, but we got out there and, um, it was really dry for the better part of, of 10 of the 12 hours we spent out there. Um, got up, um, I'm like, we came in and we, we ran it clockwise. So we went up like Haystack and uh, up and over on Franconia Ridge there across whatever Lincoln, Lafayette, um, and over towards Garfield. Um, 
in the up on the Franconia Ridge there. It was it was awesome. We happened to catch it just right where the we had an undercast. So we were up on the ridge and we were above the undercast and you could see like the mountains and Mount Washington in the distance, like floating, essentially floating on the clouds. Mm-hmm. And then it was overcast. So we were like in between these two like cloud zones. It was I mean, I don't know if I've ever been in an undercast and an overcast like mm-hmm. zone at the same time, which it was that's, like that's the weight right there. And, and it was it was super <laughs> bizarre. Um yeah. and like from from Lincoln or Lafayette, I think we might have been Lafayette. We could look out and we could see Mount Washington and we saw we could see the cog railway smoke line coming up the up the Mount Washington. Um that was pretty cool. And then got to Garfield and Garfield was complete then like right just like the difference. Like Garfield five four or five miles later was completely socked in and you couldn't see anything. And then Gablehead Hut. Um was it slippery? So some of the rocks were a little slippery. Um not I mean most of the rocks on uh at least on the Pemi Loop were uh they have a lot of texture to them. There's not like real slick, smooth rock. They have they're all granite right so they have like yeah, a little yeah. bit of a texture to them a little grit to them so it was um, wet but not slippery per se yeah i mean i slipped a couple times but nothing crazy i also was wearing vibram uh soles on my my sneakers and i think i think vibram is the grippiest of all i don't i don't know how anyone at this point i don't know why every shoe company doesn't just put vibram on their What's on the bottom of my Hoka's? Because they, because that that was amazing. What, I didn't have what, any what issues. Kind? The the trail ones, the trail ones that I wear. I can't. Well, there's like 800 Hoka's. I don't know. Ones. You're supposed to know what shoes I wear. I don't know. I'd have to pull them up. So if, if, <laughs> I can't, if, I can't if remember. It's, if it's the Speed Goats, it's Vibram. Speed okay, Goats have Vibram. Okay. On. Yeah. Um, okay. Because I was because I'm trying to picture the bottom of the shoes, and I did think I did think they had, but they did think they said Vibrams on them, but. Um, but yeah, you're right. I did not all the the rock faces that we were climbing. I did not slip once. I mean, yeah. they're they're just incredibly gripping. Yeah, and it was and like I said, we we hit it so that it was it had rained the night before, so where there wasn't a lot of exposure um, or a lot of clearing, it was wet. And then mm-hmm. um, there was there was more mud. I had been running in. Vermont, which is typically known for being super muddy, um, but it's been kind of in a drought. And there was more mud on uh, in the Pemi Loop than I've seen in Vermont all year. And I've been up there. Really? A lot. God, that's yeah. so, I mean, it was so painfully dry when we were there just, you know, the, the weekend prior. It, ugh, yeah. Yeah. And one of the one of the people that was passing us on the way up is like, hey, did you see any water over on so and so? I'm like, no, there's really no water anywhere. So if you're planning on getting water on the trail, don't do it. It's where you can't do it. There just yeah. wasn't anything. Yeah, Pemi, uh, all the um, all the springs were running on the loop while we were up there. Um, so like Guyette had water. I, get, I mean, Gablehead's a hut, so they had water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I think Garfield, um, but we didn't, I don't think we stopped at Garfield Spring at all. Um, we stopped at the peak, but not at the campsite. Right. Um, they, every, everything had water, the, the river was running. So you end up coming across Gablehead and up, uh, I think Twin Mountain is what it is. And that's, that is a fucking bitch of a climb. It's like, I think it's 2,500 feet again in about a, a mile. It's just straight, It's, it's funny that you say that. Cause I was literally looking at that route last night. Um, when I was trying to plan what we were going to do next weekend and thought, huh, that looks like fun. <laughs> yeah. Gable had a cool hut. Um, the people there are, are pretty awesome. The, um, I guess talking to Fernando, uh, Katie Scheid, who won UTMB, um, this past like yesterday, um, for female Americans, uh, she, uh, was actually a, a caretaker at Gablehead hut on the Pemi loop there at one time so i've never had any bad experiences at the huts i mean i don't know i figure the people that work up there are just they they're nice they do a great job yeah i was i was so i was joking with i was like i was like you let old guys come up here and work and they're like if you can carry a 50 pound box of 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 
supplies up here on a on a pack board. Absolutely. There you go. I was like, I was like, when my wife finally kicks me out of the house, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come live up here. <laughs> um. So uh, yeah. So so we went up uh, Twin Mountain, and then you come essentially kind of navigate down to uh, that's the the highest point at that point, and then you navigate down uh, towards Bond Cliff and um in bound mountain we didn't do any side trips to like we didn't actually summit uh gablehead mountain or west bond um or i mean i guess what did what did we not we we kind of went up guy but like not really because it's it's literally like it's 10 it's maybe like less it's less than an eighth of a mile like up up off a it, side it matters if you're trying to get all 48 of the 4,000s. Only if then, people, well, I mean, depending on who you talk to, I mean, if you don't do each individual 48er by itself, then it doesn't count. Oh, either. no, 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 no. They so, all they all count as long as you make it there. They're all, it just depends on who you talk to. No, you have to do well, it the all four that, seasons and you have to do it. Oh, God, nah, the, the rules, Um, AMC, I think, sets the rules. And the rules are you just have to you have to get to each summit. And they don't they don't care how you do it. And then you can be part of the you know, then you can be part of the cool kids club. But I don't know. I don't have enough energy to. But if you do it, you do it. Yeah. So I mean, so West Bond is is a quick quick side yes. side hustle. Gablehead's mm-hmm. probably not that far. I think it's maybe an, an also like a half yeah. mile out and back. Um. But yeah, we just we had we had time constraints and so yes that's that's kind of what we did too we were we were watching the time and again i always plan for it taking longer than it does you know in the name of supplies and return and all that kind of stuff we didn't need it um but you know the thing that killed me is we we got a late start and we i had wanted to be hiking by six i don't think we made it out there until eight um and and it was hot it was really, really hot. I mean, we were completely drenched. Um, and we saw people starting when we were finishing. And I was like, man, that heat is going to not be fun. But I was glad we glad we got out there early. Yeah, I will say, that aside from um, the rain and the fact that, like, the rocks were slippery, which the it was overcast most of the day, so no sun beating down on us when we were exposed. Um, yeah. High temperature on the peaks, I think, was like 55, 58. Oh my gosh! Yeah, no, it was it. Um, I mean, it was in like it was like in the 80s, it was, 80s to 90s when we I mean, were when we were up there. The humidity was 90 percent. Um, yeah. But, but when you're so, I mean, we were we were definitely drenched, but we were not ever ever hot, and it was warm enough that we weren't ever really cold. And amazing is there was zero wind. Yeah, same with us. Um, same, I mean, every once in a while, there was a nice breeze that was like, oh, that just came through, but no yeah. no real wind. Yeah. But yeah, the, every time I've been up on Franconia, the wind has been deafening. Yeah, there was, coming across Franconia, like, n- yeah. nicest day you could imagine. Like I said, like, mm. undercast, overcast, like, no wind, nothing... There was like families up there just like leisurely like taking like photos and stuff like that. No one was like rushing to like quick snap and like get off. Everything was right. yeah. Um and then coming off of we were completely socked in on Bond and Bond Cliff, which sucked because mm-hmm. we couldn't see like the exposure on the cliffs there and any of that stuff. It like completely socked in. And then we dropped down and at that point things started to clear. The weather the weather just clouds just would come in and out. Um, and so some where depending on where you were at what time, like it was mm-hmm. it was good or it was bad. Um yeah. and then from coming off of Bond Cliff, it's it's a, a pretty steady drop over four miles of about it's, I think it's two thousand or two thousand five hundred feet drop, but it's over four miles and it switches back and forth and the trail is is pretty runnable. We had actually passed a young hiker coming up pretty late um, and he was heading to Guyette and uh, he was like, yeah, like, well, like you're almost like to a part where you can just run all the way down. And we're like, and I've been like tracking like elevation drop. And I was like, there's like no way, like 
we can run. <laughs> right, like we're like, we're kind of yeah. at this point we're we're pretty beat up from because you most of the elevation because going clockwise you banged out a lot of it in the beginning, um, and we're like everything that we had gone down was like scramble like over boulders right. like pretty technical. It put the, the kid wasn't like and I've never done the penny loop so like I have no frame of reference. Kid wasn't lying. Completely runnable all the way down. Hmm. Um, from from essentially like there's like one point where you come off like a shelf and it's um it might be a like a 10 foot shelf that you kind of have to like pick your way down but then it just switches back across the river and then once you get down within four feet of the of the bridge crossing back to the uh, lincoln woods uh, parking lot or park trailhead um it's just railroad ties it's the same you kind of run about a mile of it in before you take the uh Osawayo trail up mm-hmm. and um osceola is that what you're trying to say i don't know whatever a s s e w o whatever okay <laughs> um and then and so that's all railroad tie down and it, i mean it, that was super flat and runnable i mean running out at at a casual nine uh the guy i was running yeah. with probably wouldn't think it was a casual nine he was he was pretty beat up he had like his he had some some health issues going into the run so his training hadn't been hadn't been like super super uh in depth and i think he had done like i think as long as prior to uh, the day we met up into the pemi was like a 15 mile run and so you know the way i look at it though is is you're hiking just if you get tired just stop and take a break <laughs> yeah and, well and, and that's kind of and that's kind of what it was right like it was yeah it's just yeah he would we would get to a summit or whatever, and he's and honest, he's like he's an old school cyclist, and so his idea of like pain and suffering is is pretty pretty good. Um, and so he 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 would grind it out. It didn't matter. And we got down to the bottom, and he at one point was like, "Oh, I think we can I think we can make sub 12. And so that number is then like stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. Right, so so because I'm obsessive and insane, I was like, "Oh." Well, let's try and push it to see if we can get sub 12. And then I just, he couldn't like keep up on the downs. So we got down to the, to the bottom where it starts to flatten out in the last four mile run out. And I was like, look, if we just like push a little hard for, for the next, like next, like 30 minutes or so, we can go, we can go sub 12, 15, pretty easy. And he's like, he's like, all right. He's like, but like, why? And I was like, I don't know. It just seems, <laughs> seems like a good thing to do. Because was, I'm obsessive and crazy. <laughs> and, and, exactly. And so, so we we like ran it all the way out. Um, I mean, like pretty casually. It was good. Um, yeah. It, I mean, it, that was. I think that's my like. That's my real first experience up in the whites. Um, for any length of time, I spend most of my time like in Vermont. <laughs> and uh, I love the whites. Was, I, I absolutely cool. love it there. Yeah. Well, we'll be there next weekend. Again, I don't know what route we're going to hike um, to be determined. Um, I actually woke this morning and and it was like I said, it was an easy Sunday. I didn't have to go anywhere. So I got my book and I'm laying in bed reading. Um, and I realized my back really hurts. Like my low back really hurts. And, and I actually stopped reading because it was hurting to, to lay in bed and read my book, if that makes sense. And I started walking around and it felt, it felt even worse. I have no idea what I did. Everyone in the house is like, what did you do? What did you do? I'm like, I have no idea. I literally just woke up like this. And, um, so I did, so I, I did just an easy workout today, um, kind of in the name of, of rehab, and, you know, just trying to, you know, work on mobility and, and see what my range of motion is. And it actually helped. But I haven't had a back injury per se in years. Um, and I see a chiropractor, but I see him more for maintenance, you know, and he, you know, he takes care of my hips and all the spots, you know, on my back that I broke and my shoulder and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it hurts. About my back. Tight? Not at all. That, so that's the interesting thing. So since I haven't been running 
like a crazy person, my hamstrings are really super flexible yeah. because, um, cause I have, <laughs> cause, cause I'm not running. And also I find when I'm not running such high miles, I, you know how many runners have trouble engaging their hamstrings and their glutes and they have an over, you know, reliance on their quads. Um, that's not an issue anymore. Um, my, my hamstrings and my glutes are pretty strong just from all the strength training and all the mobility work that I do. Um, I mean, it could be stress. It could be, you know, just some weird motion that I did. Maybe I slept wrong. I don't know, but it was kind of, kind of freaking me out just a little bit. I, because I have so much medical trauma, um, when I start to feel pain, this alarm goes off in my head, like, oh my God, what's going on? Is something wrong? Is this, you know, and realistically, I, I hurt my back. It's I just, think, I think, think I'm going to be okay, but it hurts. It's just a geo back injury. A geo? Yeah. Getting old. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, I mean, like like we've discussed prior like as i've like gotten older like mobility has been like a bigger part of like my training regimen and um and just there'll be days that like you just like reach for something that's just behind you and you twist your yeah. back and like it's like oh like well now my back's tweaked for like the next few days so and that's I, been that way since i've been in my late 30s just just randomly as i was like waking up and you know um sitting there I'm like I obsessively started to plan like okay what do I need to do for rehab what do, you know that's where my brain goes like yeah. how do I fix this right I don't really know what the answer is but I think I think the issue lies in the fact that the dorsiflexion on my right foot is not equal to that of my left foot so when I exercise so actually no let me when I hike um, and when I run, I wear a heel lift in that shoe on uh, for every day walking around and stuff. I do not wear that heel lift and I don't wear it all the time because I do expect my range of motion in my ankle to come back. And if, if I were to wear, wear that heel lift all the time, it's not going to come back. My body's just going to adapt to always being lifted, you know, however much it is, um, so the, the heel lift helped significantly, especially when I was climbing. I really didn't know how it would feel, whether it would be irritating or not. Um, so I've been using a heel lift to compensate when I run or when I hike. But but I'm really thinking that, you know, just maybe the the difference in the range of motion on, you know, my right lower leg is, you know, is throwing my hips off and, you know, and possibly my back. That, and, and really that's, that's been the case ever since I had, ever since I had the accident six years ago, because it was the right side of my body that got all smashed up. Uh, so, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to continue to, to work on the mobility. I mean, I would, I, you know, work full body mobility, but I spend extra time on the right side. Um, you know, lots of balance work and stuff like that. But, you know, now that I'm sore, like my rule this morning when I was down in my basement was no pain. Everything I do is supposed to help relieve the pain so I can just walk upstairs without groaning and yeah. acting like, like the old person that you are. Well, it's, it's weird, right? So like once that, and I don't know if it happens in every body injury, but like a lot of times you just like, you tweak the back a little bit and then all the muscles in the back try to overcompensate for whatever. Yeah. Right. So like, like the minute that you like put that whatever is whatever is feeling off into a spot where you, your mind thinks that it's going to hurt, like everything seizes up there and it like makes the like pain like actually like in that regard worse almost. Mm -hmm. At least that's yeah. that's what I found. And I'm like I'm like oh I'm like oh, and that's like what it is is like just trying to like protect whatever they think is whatever your brain thinks is is problematic. Right. And that, that kind of explains a lot of what's, you know, of what's been happening with, you know, my ankle and that level of mobility. Um, they, you know, I, I am running, I am hiking. The surgeon and my PT have both said, you need to give it a full year 
um, after the removal of the fixator to see where your leg is going to land and and what it's going to be like. So I had the fixator removed on April 1st. And so I guess I just have to continue to be patient and work this. Um, but yeah, it just, it just put, puts things in a, in a whole new perspective and I have to kind of figure out, well, what do I want to do? What do I not want to do? I just, what I don't want to do is be in pain. I'm just not, I have no desire, no desire to hurt. Like my focus in life is like having adventure, um, having fun. If it hurts. Yeah. That's, that's just not happening. I've just been, I've been through enough pain. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> oh, you can never have enough pain, Meg. There's so much more to give. Yeah. You saw that. You saw that fixator, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, we were talking about it last night. A couple of the guys that were at my um, family slideshow, they mountain bike and their kids are, are mountain bikers. And there's some, some trails that they'll downhill uh, the kids by that. I mean, uh, that I'm like, yeah, that's just, that's like way over my pay grade. Once you start, like, once you start hitting big gaps and I mean, I'm like, I just, the idea of like, what that crash means mm-hmm. um, is is probably not well, worth worth the reward. At least at, least at my skill level right now, I'm not a super strong. I mean, I'm not a super good mountain biker. I just it's just the sport I picked up a couple of years ago. And um, well, I spent a lot of time when I was doing when I was adventure racing. So this was this would have been 15 years ago plus. Um, a lot of time mountain biking and I always considered myself a really bad mountain biker. So what I learned how to do was carry my bike, run and carry my bike, you know, when, when everything got sketchy or I learned how to fall. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone over the handlebars on a trail and just did a duck and roll yep. and, and ended up, you know, and ended up just fine. That's how that's how I mountain biked. I just, I just knew how to fall. I wasn't afraid of falling. Um, I knew how to, how to ditch the bike if, if things got really bad. But after, after the accident on the road six years ago, that, that fear of falling, um, those neural pathways are clearly formed now in my brain. And I don't, I don't have that ability anymore. I don't have the ability to just roll off my bike. I don't have the ability, um, to take those kind of risks. But with that said, I've been, I I've gotten up to some, I I've got, I I've seen my rides afterwards and, and looked at the speeds I've been clocking and going, Ooh, okay. I guess I'm, I guess I'm riding fast again. And I also found myself like when we were in Maine, going down a hill and, you know, I put my body into the tuck position on, on my bike to get myself to go faster. I didn't even realize I'm doing it. And then afterwards I go, Whoa, what, what, what happened? Like I, I sometimes forget, you know, sometimes I just forget that, that my body's afraid of it, but road biking, road biking is fine, but you have to know the roads because if I'm going like 40 miles an hour or something and I hit a pothole or I hit something in the, in the road, you know, you can lose, you can lose, lose control of your bike. I can't, I can't hop off my bike. Like I would hop off my mountain bike, you know? Um, so yeah, so that, that ability to, to ride that aggressively is, I don't know. I don't know if it's ever going to come back, but I'm okay with it because I can still, I can still ride very well. Um, yeah, it just, I don't know. It's just one of those things. It is what it is. And I don't want to force my body or my mind through any more trauma to get better. Cause I don't really care. <laughs> just don't like I, those, those trails that you talked about. Um, I, I look at them now and go, yeah, I just put my bike over my shoulder and just hop down. I don't care. Yeah. Well, these, these aren't, these aren't walking. These are a lot of these are flow trails and jump trails where you're. Where it's no, like, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So it's not. I mean, you're just you're riding it or riding the beeline around it. Um, but but some of them. I mean, some of the stuff is 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 gnarly. Some of the dude. There is there is a certain feeling that you get covering a a twenty foot distance plus like in the air where you 
just flying. It, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it depends on like what trail it is. And like some of it's like, like I explained to some people, I mean, I'm, I'm a blue square confident, uh, flow trail guy where I can like hit jumps on a blue square. I can like ride the black diamond, uh, jump trails. Um, I wouldn't say I'm super confident on it. Um, I can, I, I'm pretty confident on, on black diamond tech trails, but not super, super confident. Um, but there's guys that you like, you'll just watch them and they like, and the stuff they they'll throw in, like when you watch really, really good riders and they can start seeing lines that don't exist. Like mm-hmm. they're like, Oh, I can like, I can jump off the side rock here and land in that berm that's like across the way if i maintain like like a 20 mile an hour speed like through here or like they know that like if it's like 15 miles like whatever like and they can feel that speed that's that to me is like amazing but they but the key to that is is also confidence and where i was maybe able to do stuff like that not maybe not that extreme i i was again i always called myself a bad mountain biker i don't know how bad i actually was but I could do a bunch of things because I had that level of confidence and, and it just, it was, it was taken away, but there are some moments that I find that confidence coming back and it's not, it's not conscious. Like there are sometimes I'm going down a hill and I'm like, yeah, I'm going, I'm, you know, especially on the road. I'm like, I'm going too fast. These are new roads. Don't know the roads. Just slow down just so I can see if anything's coming up but then there's other times I catch myself going so fast and I have that confidence and then afterwards I go whoa that was that that was a little that was a little sketchy but so I guess I guess maybe that level of confidence is coming back but I'm also very clear on the bike anyway what my abilities are and what my abilities are not yeah I think um it was I was listening to um, a couple older mountain bikers and they were talking about, you know, the essentially mountain biking, like after 40, which is where like I fall into and especially picking it up after 40 and the strength component of it is so important. Cause they're like, yeah, Listen, if is. you're, if you're strong and you have like good muscle, like strength and like mm-hmm. your core is strong. And I don't just mean your abdominal, like, I mean, like, um, your like pelvic core from and, your like, shoulders, your from your shoulders and, like, to your yeah. knees, yeah, and your um, obliques and all that. He's like, if if that's all strong, like that is like wearing body armor, um, right? And I guess I didn't realize how strong I'd gotten on the bike until I started um, doing gravel bike races and and passing passing people. You know, I'd just be standing on my pedals, just just grinding up the hill and because I can I, I learned huh I can actually climb pretty well on the bike um when other people were slowing down and yeah it's it it's definitely well I think it's necessary because I think when I did my first century I finished and I was so sore on my triceps um the back of my neck Actually, just my posterior chain (laughs) from the back of my neck to my low back, like the entire backside of my body was so sore from holding myself on that position on the bike. So so basically, when I did my first century, I was not strong enough to do that. Um, Occasionally now I'll find my triceps or my neck get a little tweaky after a ride, but I was just determined like if I'm going to do this, you got to, you got to be strong enough, got to be strong enough to cover the distance. It can't just be a, can't just be a cardio thing. Right. Yeah. So hard, hard pivot here. So what do you think? Do you think with Killian's hard rock win this year, the in France with and then his UTMB record setting finish, do you think he cemented himself as the greatest ultra runner of all time? Is he the GOAT? Is there anyone that'll ever be as good as Killian? I don't think so. Actually, maybe there's somebody out there that regularly runs on the mountains that like doesn't wear a watch and is like some recluse somewhere. 
<laughs> it's just, but no, I mean, you ever, you ever seen that man run? Yeah. It's like, it's, it, it almost, he makes it look so easy. It's almost like when you watch the Olympics, I always think when, every time I watch the Olympics, I say this, I go, and actually I was, we were watching the U S track and field championships a couple of weeks ago. I said the same thing. They need to put a normal person, tell them, take a normal person, tell them to do the event before the elites. So you can see how hard it actually is. And like, if you, if you showed like, like us and even like, we have some decent skill. I mean, we're not horrible, but you know, showed us covering some of the terrains that, that he covers. Um, it would, it would put it in perspective. Just, just um, the shit he's running uphill. I know. I know it's, it, yeah. Like, yeah. What you, and that's what, like, when you were talking about grinding, like uh, your bike uphill, um, mm-hmm. just like, I was like, oh, like. Killian was running up steep ass grades like late in the race, which is fucking insane. And mm-hmm. like, and it looks like he's running slow and he's not running his fastest, but like, yeah. And then you look at like the start, the first miles, like out of like Chamonix where it's flat and those guys are starting a hundred mile race, like running like 530 pace. Like you're like, this is like, it's, it's insane. It's not, it's not like this, it's completely different level. Like, mm-hmm. um, but he's, I mean, he's, dude, I don't know. I don't, I definitely don't, I, I don't think there'll ever be a mountain racer as prolific as Killian. Um, I mean, he's not, he's not a strong flat racer as some other, other athletes. But he's not it's, specific in his like training. I don't think he spends his, his time. The agility that he demonstrates on mountain terrain—that's the piece that has always flabbergasted me. And if anybody listening to this has never seen the YouTube videos of of Killian descending, um, it, yeah, I, I just I've never seen I've never seen anybody like it. And I think that you could you know you could train and let's say you could we could get you to a point where you where where you and Killian were athletically matched matched physiologically there is some it, 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 he'd still he'd still outrace because his his agility on those trails is something that I don't think we've ever seen in another person yeah i mean that's just it's it is amazing, and I mean, to have to have two course records on two of the hardest mountain courses in the same year is fucking insane. Um, the the hardest mountain race in the U.S. Hard Rock course mm-hmm. course record this year, um, and like ran and just smoked smoked everyone except like Francois Dehin, who he like. He just destroyed in like the last, like, I think it was like the last 5K, like, and put like minutes on him in the last 5K or five miles, whatever it was. That had to hurt. Yeah. And then, and then UTMB were like, was like, and Walmsley was like, Walmsley worked it until he, he, he was destroyed. And I mean, and I don't know, whew, but like, yeah, he's something unreal. And after, he what he he broke his his was it he broke his femur like before like he's I mean he's he did he's not a, I don't yeah. I don't know that I remember that did he fall Yeah he um well see. he and his wife had to they they had to be rescued on the side of a trail many years ago I do remember that but that wasn't because of a fall it was because of they were they were completely unprepared. Um, they just went out and just tried to do this, this hike. And of course, you know, conditions changed and they got stuck out there and needed some help. Well, he runs super minimalist. I think a lot, right. like a lot of those guys do anyways. Um, <laughs> maybe it was just tibia that he fractured. So as I say, femur is pretty extreme. I mean, that's, yeah. that's potentially life-threatening. <laughs> yep. 
Absolutely. I yeah. mean, you're, but he did have an injury at one point that he thought he was going to be paralyzed also, possibly. I yeah. can relate. <laughs> and so, I mean, so he, he broke his fibula or injured his fibula. Well, I guess the, I guess the point in this, no matter what his injury was, is that he's obviously resilient because the other thing to consider about Killian is, I mean, how long's he been racing? Like, and since he's been sixteen. Exactly. And with ultra runners, what I notice now um, is they have a very short lifespan. Um, I say lifespan, lifespan in the sport. I mean, they're not dying, but they have a very short um, time at the top because they're being pushed to do so many races. But you know, by their sponsors, by their coaches. I mean, whatever. I don't really know. So when somebody's at the top of their game. What they're only there for what maybe about five years max. Yeah, usually. Um, yeah. I mean, most most runners like if you look at running careers as a whole, especially like, I mean, if you look at running careers as a whole, right? Most runners probably don't run and train hard longer than seven years. Yeah, ultra running though. I mean, to do to do that level of racing and do, you know, that, you know, multiple races like that in a year. Yeah. Um, well, like, right. Like think about it. Like you're a good runner. Like even if you were like a D one runner, right. Like mm-hmm. you started getting good sophomore year of high school. Right. And then three years in high school and then you're a D one runner. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you never compete again after that. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and then if you do, if you're like a top level D run runner, you might compete to the next Olympics, right? Like as a, and then maybe as a pro, you compete like three or four years, right? Like there's seven to 12 years. And like, most people are like done with the sport, like Ryan Hall, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Top, the top American half marathoner, probably, I mean, the fastest half marathoner. In America. Isn't he a bodybuilder now? Yeah. He lifts a ton of weights and his, his yeah. wife, his wife is, is still, still killing it. Sarah is still killing it. Right. Um, still a top level athlete i remember hearing him on a podcast i don't remember this was a while ago but he was talking about that he rides his bike with her to pace her yeah um but if you look at pictures on him of him you wouldn't recognize him because he went from you know skinny runner guy to bodybuilder but um but yeah still equally as dedicated it, it seems yeah and i think in uh it seems like in the sport of running i don't know if it's if it's, I would have to, I don't know what the statistics are, but it seems like the longevity of female runners at a higher level is, is longer than male runners from what I've seen. So yeah. Like, and it, just, just from watching. Yeah. Like anecdotally, yeah. like, like, right. Like yeah, Shay, yeah, Shailene, yeah, yeah. Shailene was around for a long time. Like, mm-hmm. um, I mean, Kara, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, Kara Goucher, Goucher. Like, yeah. like way outlasted, like, Adam, mm-hmm. right? Like, right. Um, right. And yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I don't know what it is. If it's like, it's, I think it's just got to be, you know, good coaching, taking care of your body, working on mobility, um, you know, nutrition, it's, it's everything, yeah. you know, you, you have a coach that, um, that burns you to the ground. Um, what's the coach I'm thinking of the Salazar. controversial one. Yes. You know, you have an Alberto Salazar, you know, that's beating the hell out of you um, or a coach that's, you know, potentially, you know, harmful. But if you look at like, even look at Sally McRae, I mean, she just did a number of races, you know, she, she did, you know, bad water and a number of other races, but she documents all of her stuff on Instagram, all of her strength training, all of her mobility. I mean, she really has it nailed. And, you know, those are the type of people I look to for, um, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for, for, you know, for guidance, because if, if you want to be healthy, it's not just, okay, I can run far. You, if you want to, you know, if I want to be healthy, I want I need, I want to be able to run. I want to be able to bike. I want to be strong, but that also means that I have to pay attention to my nutrition and my sleep, my hydration, my electro. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, and, and not only that, like people like you and me, I mean, we're working (laughs) and we have, and we have families and, um, and we're podcasting on the side. (laughs) Um, 
I have felt lately, I have felt the effects of, of life's juggle, you know, and on my days off, just needing to sleep and, and de-stress because, you know, my job is, job's pretty stressful. Um, the, you know, but, and try to, and try to rehab and, and not hurt my back. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing is right. Like when you look at it and we've, we've talked about life balance before and prioritizing and Mm -hmm. sometimes one priority takes over another. Um, Right. But when it comes down to it, I think most of us do this for some semblance of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of it might be for like healthy, long lifestyle. Um, Though I would argue that ultra running is probably not a healthy, long lifestyle. (laughs) I mean, but when, when push comes to shove, I wake up and I work out before I go to work. So I'm, I'm, I'm working out by five, you know, and anybody that knows me, I am not a morning person. I mean, I, it just does, but that's just what my schedule is right now with, with kids and work. But if I were to skip that exercise before work, I don't feel like I can be present for my patients, whether I'm, whether it's me as a therapist or, or working as a paramedic, it, it calms my mind down and it helps center me and it just starts the day off right. And there are some days where I just wake up and I know I can't do a lot, but that's okay. You know, I just get up and do something. Puts me in the, it puts me in the right frame of mind, keeps me calm. And my work as a therapist, I've never had a job where I've had to be more present at work <laughs> than it's just you you know, I'm always paying attention. I'm always, you know, there's never, there's, there aren't off moments. There just can't, there just can't be, um, because, you know, we're dealing with people's trauma and stuff. I mean, even, you know, my work as a paramedic, when, when I'm done with a patient, they're gone and I can sit there and, you know, close my eyes and take a breath and, and relax. I don't always get to do that. Um, when I'm at my private, private practice job. So, so yeah, I'm up at five doing something every stupid morning but oh, yeah. i mean I, I think everyone should exercise every day for sure but i like i said i just the the argument is always like at what point is it right like that's the alternative is is worse i guess right type of thing like mm-hmm. like being lazy and not doing anything is worse than training for an ultra marathon but like absolutely training for, training for an ultra marathon is probably less healthy than saying like I like work out at a gym three days a week and train for a half marathon right I think I think half marathon might be the sweet spot training training wise uh for for optimal health um but uh but yeah once yeah I guess once it becomes a certain level it it becomes a sort of pseudo unhealthy relationship um I've been there a few times. I'm a, I'm a little familiar with that. But uh, but I mean, it like I said, the the alternative is worse, and it depends. And like, it's it's cyclical. It's not all. Yes. It it has to be cyclical because if you're doing it all the time, I think emotionally and physically, you'd just be flat. Yeah. 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 You have macro cycles and micro cycles, mm-hmm. yep. weekly cycles, and etc. That's how programming is based upon and it's important i always i always hear johnny cash in my head and it's and it's walking the line and i walk the line pretty much all the time and when i've crossed it i know but it usually takes me crossing it to realize that i've done it right um i think maybe what i was talking about before on the bike like if i see a sketchy trail um a descend that i don't quite feel comfortable with maybe I'm, maybe I'm now getting smarter and I'm like, I'm not doing that. I put my bike over my shoulder and <laughs> I'll just, and you know, I'll just run or, or walk down. Um, maybe that's, maybe that's the, one of the benefits of getting older is I'm starting to get a little bit smarter and just go, yeah, no, um, 
I don't feel like, I don't feel like a road rash or trail rash today. You know, I don't feel like any broken bones today. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's the whole, um, I mean, safe riding policy is pre-ride, re-ride, and then you can send it. Like you ride it essentially three times, right? So it's like the first time you're kind of checking it out, seeing, scoping it out. And this is for resort riding. Like if you're, if you're trail way, riding. I've, I've never done that. Yeah, <laughs> most, most people but, don't. But you know, I did have routes. Um, I did have routes when I lived in Connecticut that I rode all the time that, you know, that I did have memorized, but you know, when you're on the trail, like you can memorize rocks, you can memorize trees, but things shift and a rock that you counted on being there could all of a sudden be loose, you know, the, the next time you're riding. So I always had that in mind, but. Yeah, we had, um, rec- I mean, just, I can tell you recently we had some heavy rains come through here, just a couple like microburst type storms, but I mean, torrential downpour and the trails have been been pretty dry and uh, concrete like and these storms dropped enough rain that it like completely reconfigured the trails like rocks are like not in the place rocks are loose there's there's because it's starting to the weather's starting to turn a little bit so like the early birch trees and stuff are starting to fall so leaves are piled up in weird places and and the trail is like completely different i was the, the other day i was out rolling my ankles and i'm like oh why is this all this stuff all messed up it's not the way it's supposed to be same thing, right? Like it's just not right, always I know. where it is. Um, yeah. It can change, but yeah. So that's well. As we're winding up, um, I brought I I brought up Johnny Cash. You, um, thank goodness for you. You you are remembering to bring a song to the to the end of the end of the podcast, and I believe you're choosing a Johnny Cash song today. Today is a Johnny Cash song. Uh, it's Rusty Cage. Um, it's off his American, his second American album, like produced by Rick Rubin. It is a Soundgarden cover. And I, I don't care what you say. You could be the biggest Soundgarden fan in the world and hate Johnny Cash. This is a better version of that. If Who you don't hates just, Johnny Cash? Like, seriously, if, if you hate Johnny Cash, then there's something wrong with you. Yeah. I mean, really, like, what what happened to you as a? If child? you hate Johnny Cash, fuck you. <laughs> just, that's just like, what's the matter. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, sorry. But, nobody um, can hate. Nobody can hate Johnny Cash. But yeah, this I think I think Rusty Cage is is better than the Nine Inch Nails Hurt. Like, um, I mean, I understand like in context, Hurt like in that time frame of his life was was huge. But like, this version of Rusty Cage is so good. This is this gets me amped up. I'm actually gonna listen. I'm I gotta go Ron Long. I'm probably gonna listen to it on the way there for sure. You do that. All right. I'll tell you, I haven't heard it in a very, very long time. So, um, so I'll re-listen. Um, thank you to, to everybody who's been joining us. Thank you for the reviews that you've posted. Um, if you ever have any ideas, things that you want us to talk about on the podcast, please, um, you know, send me or Sean a message, let us know. And the best thing you can do for us, Sean and I aren't exactly marketing geniuses. So let's, let's put it that way. So the best thing you can do for us um, is share this with a friend and put the podcast out there because, um, you know, the, the more people we're reaching, I hope the, the more people that are out there, I don't know, having those uncomfortable conversations that somehow seem comfortable when you're, um, when you're outside or engaged in some sort of, some sort of sport. So until uh next week sean or two weeks i think we're recording in two, two weeks. weeks yeah because yeah, i'm yeah that's right i'm i'm hiking next weekend so in two weeks we'll catch up i'll let you know how our time on franconia goes and you can let me know what your adventures have been awesome and if you don't like johnny cash fuck you again <laughs> later sean bye You wired me awake and hit me with a hand of broken nails You tied my lead and pulled my chain to watch my blood begin to boil But I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run.
Too cold to start a fire I'm burning diesel, burning dinosaur bones I'll take the river down to Stillwater And ride a pack of dogs I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage And run When the forest burns along the road Like God's eyes in my headlights When the dogs are looking for their bones And it's raining ice picks on your steel shore I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run Dick.